0: Welcome, you guys. We're going to jump right in. We've been talking about spiritual warfare. Let's start with the words of Jesus, shall we? Words of Jesus, John eight forty two. Jesus talking to a group of Pharisees, religious leaders of the day. And this is what he says. If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and now am here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. And uh, I don't know about you, but the next verse is, is kind of harsh. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Two things real quick. One, we have an enemy. Everybody say that with me. We have an enemy. Now, I don't know what you think about spirits and demons and angels, so on and so forth, but Jesus clearly believed in them. Matter of fact, one part in Luke, he says, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. We have an enemy. Jesus said over and over again, we have an enemy, and this enemy has a plan and a purpose, and it's simple. It's to lie to you and to destroy you. Pretty simple, eh? We have an enemy whose main goal is to lie and to destroy and to kill. And Jesus says, be alert and awake to the you of an enemy. Secondly, we are in a spiritual battle. This is what we are talking about. That God has created us for the best. And God has created us with the purpose and intention for our lives. And Satan's whole purpose is to destroy, to thwart that work of God being done in our hearts and in our lives. Whether you choose to believe it, whether you choose to accept it, the Bible says we are engaged in a spiritual warfare, my friends. And you have an enemy whose main aim is to kill and to destroy. The text that we've been anchoring ourselves in is from Ephesians chapter 6. So let's go there. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 on. The Apostle Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you could take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes... on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Christianity, Paul says, is a fight. The essence of Christianity is a fight. Verse 12, our struggle. The word describes kind of barehanded, in the mud, close encounter of two two people whose literally lives are staying. They're fighting each other for their very own lives. And Paul says that describes the Christian life. The Christian life, at the essence of it, is not a life of ease, of comfort, of ho-hum. The Christian life is one of wrestling, it's one of fighting, it's one of strenuous exertion. As we're fighting the enemy of Satan and his demons, as we're fighting the enemy of sin and remaining sin in our lives, and as we're fighting, fighting the World and what the scripture calls worlds, forces, values, priorities that are contradictory to values of God. And I've been saying this throughout. This is a good gauge of the authenticity of our spiritual lives and our vitality. Are you coasting? Or is there a fight, an exertion, a wrestling about, um Shared at the morning service, you know, uh, some of the most profound truths are emails that I get from people in terms of how God is speaking to them. And I got this email with permission to share from a a, a family that was very close friends with me and Jenny. and, uh, And I think her email speaks to, frankly, many of us in this room. She says, I feel as much as we've loved our time in Chicago, clearly our favorite city, the place of residence that my husband and I came as newlyweds, birthed our children where we loved every second of our time. She said, it may have also been our gradual seven years of falling asleep, walking on the palace roof in our pajamas. If you're going, what's she talking about? First Sunday, I shared this. Here's what we find in second Samuel, right? This is King David. We can put up the scripture passage up there. Second Samuel. Is it up there? Yeah. Um, This is King David. Oh, maybe not? Okay. The scripture passage, y'all holler if you see it up there, okay? Scripture passage literally begins with when kings went out to war. At a time when kings went out to war. So this is a time in which kings, warriors, are out in battle. Here's what we find David. David is in his pajamas on the roof walking around. And then verse 2, it says, he looked out and saw a beautiful woman. And then verse 3, he said, he got someone to inquire about her. And I asked a question, how many of us warriors are in our pajamas on the roof just walking around enjoying the view? As you know, 2012 has been the hardest year of our lives. We're still recovering from it, not yet in the total clear. There's still a third of the year left, and we feel that in more ways than the calendar. But standing with two-thirds already past us, she says, I can see God's gracious hand doing what it took to wake us up, to pull us out of the slumber of comfort and much of what we allowed to distract us from the fight. And because of his love, make us charge forth in the battle, despite the hell that led us to be able to do so. Her husband went through. For eight, nine months. A mysterious illness that nobody could figure out. We have been the epitome, she says, of risk adverse. We're planners. We are lovers of overpriced gourmet food. We find security in our assets. Those are just tiny few of the many things that were rocking us to sleep. This year, all those things have been pulled out from under our lazy butts and we are jolted awake. The adoption we have been planning on praying for years was aborted. My husband's health went to an all-time low. His livelihood and mental state completely attacked. Talk about heyday for Satan. And our non-confrontational marriage facing the biggest blowout sessions we've ever seen. We are about to leave the home that I've loved and cherished with too much affection. Are you getting a sense of her email? Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. But here we are are on the edge of major leap of faith. We're leaving our most beloved Chicago filled with friends that we love to go completely across the country to unfamiliar land. We're leaving a job that has provided us a life of relative luxury. And she reads in here, she goes, and thank God, you know, we got to eat at Alinea when we had the chance to. Yeah. For those of you that are like, what's Alinea? you are you are blessed that's what you are okay it's a very expensive restaurant a very expensive restaurant nothing wrong with eating at expensive restaurants all she is saying is well you see what she's saying let me finish to a job with half the salary but listen to but the promise of more of what matters a better work-life balance This is our church, Michael. We are painfully awake. It has taken so much out of us, but I could honestly say that I would much prefer this gift of God's presence than none of what happened in 2012 happening. Us remaining on the roof in our pajamas and perhaps being lulled even further into which that would have caused us to cry out. Psalm 51, that's a psalm after David commits adultery and murder. With unbelievably shameful tears. I love her email. Because she is honestly saying two things. Number one, maybe the fact that our lives are so comfortable is not a good thing. Can I get an amen? And secondly, she is actually saying... God can do anything he wants to awaken us out of this spiritual slumber because I would rather cherish the work of God in the midst of that than being totally being knocked out of this battle altogether. How y'all doing? How am I doing? How many of us today are going, yeah, God, take us out of our comfort zones. I get it, Nate. <laughs> but I like my gourmet food. I'm not saying you can't eat a gourmet. How many of us are going, God, I would rather have you shake us and knock us out of our slumber of confusing what really matters, like work, life, family balance, rather than how much money, what car, what clothes, what success. Good Lord, are you kidding we should have erupted going, "Aim!" that, you know, because for most of us, frankly, we're like, mm. Christianity is a fight. Is there a fight about you? Is there a fight about you? Secondly, Christianity is a multidimensional fight. I'm just going to read an email here, okay? Because in the email, again, I got another email. In the form of a prayer request, what we've been saying all along is what? That we don't just fight flesh and blood. Paul says, it's not brother, sister. It's not that person. It's not even institutions and systems. It's not just about all. He said, behind all that are evil forces, spiritual forces that are at work. He said, don't be naive. And this teacher is not naive. It's a prayer request. She says, I'm a Chicago public school teacher. Please pray for the negotiations between the Chicago Teachers Union, Karen Lewis and Jesse Sharkey, and the Board of Education, Brizard and Rahm Emanuel. Please pray that the Holy Spirit would dissolve the strongholds that are hindering negotiation process. I really believe that there are hurt feelings and deep-seated anger, probably justified, that are seriously hindering the negotiation process. Please pray that the Holy Spirit would intervene and provide some rational arbitrator that might help bring these two sides together. Our children cannot afford to go without our educational system. For some, the school is their main source of stability. For most, the school is their main source of education. And for us teachers, most of us need our jobs. Many of us are primarily responsible for providing food and shelter for our families. We need our system to work. We need the negotiators to hear and listen to each other and come to some reasonable, workable and fair contract. As I think about your current sermon series, I cannot help but realize that maybe Satan is at work here. You think? Don't be naive, you guys. Oh, it's just a broken system. It's just a broken system. Oh, it's just racism. It's just racism? Oh, it's just. There are no ju- Paul says. Christians are not naive. There are four. Do you know how many impact this is going to impact almost 360,000 children. And I refuse to take sides. I'm a parent of three kids. I'm not saying one is better than the other. All I'm saying is if you're a Christian, you're not naive to go, "Oh, if they would just get just get along and get over their different." Oh, say, oh. Both sides are going the devil, the devil. Of course they're not going to get anywhere. Oh, I want to pray for this. Christianity is a multidimensional fight. Paul says behind wars, racism, injustices, and evil is not just human beings, but there's spiritual forces that are at work. Your marriage that's a struggle is not just how they were raised. It's not just their temperament. It's not just anything. Paul says there's spirits, forces that are at work. Are you aware of the multidimensional fight? And then third, Paul says the real Christianity is a fight with the devil's schemes. Now, today was sort of a a part two of what I talked about last week. Because what I talked about last week was in order for us to engage in the spiritual warfare, you got to know how Satan fights. You got to know his schemes. The word is methodes in Greek, literally from the English word, with the English word methods. And the word gets to this thing that satan and the way he works it's not you guys just compulsive just oh he just he is crafty he is careful he plans he knows your ins and your outs he knows your weaknesses so i'll get to he knows what strings to vibrate he watches carefully his name literally the devil diablo's in verb form is to lie or to slander. The primary way that Satan works is through lies. If you were attacked physically, would you know it? Yes. Even if you were attacked verbally, would you know it? Yes. Do you know when you're being deceived? The whole point of deception is that you don't know. and Satan primary way that he works is through deception, through lies. Why? Belief system. Everybody say belief system. Our belief system, what we believe about God, about ourselves and the universe, our belief system is at the foundational core of how we behave. Why? What our belief system does, it affects our emotions. And our emotions affect our behavior. (sighs) So Satan is smart, and he doesn't just go through the action. He doesn't just go through the emotions. He goes, here's what I'm going to do. My way of deception is going to be I'm going to go through the belief system because if I can twist that, distort that, I don't have to worry about whether it's going to affect your emotions. If I can affect your emotions, I already know how you're going to behave. And if you're sitting here, you're depressed, discouraged, anxious, worried, you're fearful. If you're sitting here today and you lack faith, you're doubting, just all of that ultimately, I guarantee it goes back to one of three things, what you believe about God, what you believe about yourself, and what you believe about the circumstances senses around you. True? Won't you sit there and go, well, I just feel it. You don't just feel any, what you believe about God, yourself and what affects your emotions. Now, here's the thing. So here's what Satan does. Satan, this analogy, John White, the Christian counselor, he says when you open a piano and you sing a note, that string, that note is, begins to vibrate. And the way Satan works is, he's a beautiful musician. He comes and he begins to essentially vibrate or aggravate or accentuate the self-talk, the self-conversation that we already have going on in our hearts. Things like, I'm really insecure. I'm really pathetic. Nobody loves me. I don't know who told you that. But you're sitting there going, I'm unlovable. I'm unworthy of being loved. That person that said that to you, frankly, is not even around. They may have died 10 years ago. And you're still going, I am not worthy of being loved. I'm pathetic. Whoa, 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 whoa. What, what, you, what are you saying? Why do you believe that? Because it's true. Bing. He knows your fears. He knows your insecurities. He knows your doubts. He knows some of you are going, I don't trust God. I don't trust God. What do you think he's going to do? He's going to do everything possible to vibe for this strength. God's not trustworthy. Are you kidding? If he was trustworthy, why would you be uh, how could he, uh bing, bing. Do you know what your strings are? Do you know what your strings are? You're some of you're nodding. What are your strings? Okay, let me ask. How many of you your insecurities? Like four of us. <laughs> That's all of us. Who's not in this room insecure about something? Are you kidding? How about fear? 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 Ho oh, oh, ho oh. ho! Big one! Big one! Fear for our future. Fear for our present. Fear. Fear. Inse- he knows, and what does he do? He hits the belief system and goes you should be afraid be very afraid who would love you come on look at yourself he vibrates his strength he can't make a good person bad he takes a worse bad person and makes them worse aggravate aggravate now more than any other thing the thing that satan our belief system will go to is what we think about god Not true? Let me show you. If Satan could distort what we believe ultimately about God, he could distort what it means for you to be a child of God, which is the essence of your identity. Do you hear what I just said? Satan very rarely is going to go directly towards your identity, although he does it sometimes. He's going to go, step one. Here, lies and deceptions about what you think about God. Because if I could begin to affect that, mm, almost automatically, you're going to perceive in a twisted way who you are. And if you could perceive and twist who you think you are, your emotions and your behavior naturally flow. So my question to you is this. How many of us in this room have ever struggled with the correct biblical perception of God. How many of us on a daily basis struggle with a correct biblical perception of God? I'm going to take you to, to me, the passage where Satan shows for all of us to see his tactic in terms of how he uses deception and lies. And more importantly, how we could respond correctly. In the midst of his lies and deception about God. Take you to Genesis 3, okay? Genesis 3. I've got a series of points, and I'm not gonna dwell too much on these. Each of these could be a sermon in and of themselves, but I'm gonna hit them real quick and then move on. Genesis 3. Genesis 3. Truth about Satan and his weapons and his schemes, and then truth about God, which ultimately is the truth about you. Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say? How many of y'all have ever hear that, by the way? <laughs> Joey, you're like eating this up, man. Like, do you, like you should, you should like, uh, come up and like share some testimony or something. Did God, did God really say? Now the reality is all of us, we're with you. We're just not as, we're just not as open and honest. You must not eat from any tree in the garden. First point, you ready? Everybody say this with me. Satan is crafty. Satan is crafty. He's smart, do you know that? He's been around a lot longer than you. He's been honing his craft. And I said this at the morning service, part of me what frustrates is when Christians are all like, I'm declaring victory in Jesus. He's He's uh, died and risen again. I declare victory in Jesus. And I want to go, I know. However, why do you do the same thing over and over and over again? Why do you make the same choices over? I have victory in Jesus. I know it's true. But why do you maybe, maybe he's really smart. See, this is how smart he is. You ever been in a room, an accountability group, where guys are going around sharing their weaknesses and their sins? And one guy goes, I really struggle with this. And part of the guys in the room go, you struggle with that? That's no problem for me. Like, that's not even an issue. And the other guys are like, yeah, that's a serious issue. for What is that? Why is it a struggle? for You, you know what he does? He tailor makes your sins, your temptations, just for you. He knows what your weakness is. On. He knows what strengths to vibrate. So he tailor makes it. And by the way, when you catch on to his schemes, he moves on to something else. He's crafty. He's smart. He's been around for a while. Second thing we see about Satan, truth about don't Don't, don't take him lightly. Don't picture him in a red jumpsuit with a tail and a pitchfork. Like, oh, he's so stupid. He's so obvious. He wants you to think that. If he can get you to sit here and go, is Peter really serious? I thought he was a fairly intelligent guy. He really believes in the Satan demons stuff second thing satan undermines the truth of god's word i hate the fact that he did this but it works and that's why i'm frustrated by did god really say that god he's always gonna do that did god really say by the way this is assuming that we know what god's word is (laughs) which for many of us did god really say i don't know it did he did he say that Did god really say Did God really say that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Did God really? No, you liar, you fat liar, you murderer. God didn't say that. We don't do that. What do we do? Did God really say that you? Yeah, I don't know. That's so inconvenient these days. You know what I mean? Did God really? Yeah, I know. Who does it anymore? This is like 2012. Did God really say Here's a big one. <laughs> I hear some people go. Did God really say, and literally it's like, I know the Bible? Wasn't that written by a bunch of people like long time ago? Like uneducated bunch of fishermen, or did God really say? Undermines two gods. What third, 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 and oh, ooh, ooh. This this is my no uh, Satan attacks God's intentions and God's heart. Look at verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it. No, God didn't say that. Did you know that? So why does Eve add the whole, and God said, you also can't touch it. Well, we'll get to that in a little bit. Why does she add that little restrictive, God said, don't touch. Or... You will die. Verse 4. Oh, music in the background. You're not going to die. If you eat of it, you're going to be like God. Don't you want to be like God? You know what that sounds like to you and me today? You know your needs better than God does. You're a better judge than God is what you need. Are you kidding? Why? What? God said what? You, you know yourself way better than anybody, including. You know what God, you know what Satan does? Listen very carefully, because this to me is 99% of my counseling sessions with people. <laughs> Eve's saying, God is holding out on me, so I can't trust him. So, I'm going to opt to choose my way, my time, and my choosing. Think about the decisions you're about to make right now. And ask yourself, if you're saying, God's holding out on me. You don't know what I need. I can't trust him. So I'm going to choose my way, my time, and the way I want to. Because as soon as you go my way, my time, my choosing, because he's holding out on me and I can't, it opens the door to temptation and sin. And we walk right through it. Satan is viciously attacking the intentions of God's heart. He is saying you can't trust him. He is a killjoy. He is a bully. He is holding out on you. And then, why some of you are sitting here going, Why am I still single? Where is he? And then, why some of you are going, Why am I unemployed? Why am I stuck in this dead end job? Where is he? And then, why some of you are going, why, why am I married to this person? Where is he? And then, why some of you are going, Why are these things in my life happening? Why are these troubles? Why are these struggles? Why, where is he? You know what's amazing to me is I get blown over by this. This morning at 9 o'clock service, a young man came up to me, brain tumor. Brain tumor, major surgery. He's going through radiation, and he was honest enough to share with me and saying, "Your sermon today, that's my struggle. God's intentions for my life. Where is he? Where is he? Does that feel honest to you? Feel honest to me? Can you be honest with yourself this morning and going, Do I doubt God's intentions and God's heart? Let's keep going." Told you it was going to be quick. Satan promises something he can't deliver. Please, please, please. I beg of you. I beg of you. I beg of you. I beg of you. Be alert and awake to this. He says what? You're not going to die. You fat liar. Yes, there's death in this. You're not going to die. He promised things he can't deliver. He can't pay off on that. Eve, take it. You won't die. Satan, you can't pay off on that. There is death in that. Satan. There's pleasure there. There's fulfillment there. You can't pay off on that. If I could do that really deep soul satisfaction and fulfillment that. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Right there. You can't pay off on that, Satan. He promised things. He can, oh, one time. You can always stop. You can't pay off on that. I did it once. I've been hooked for 10 years. What are you being promised to that he'll never deliver on? <laughs> Next. Verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food. Oh. Here's why this is so hard and his deception works. Because he drives into what I call God-given needs. You're going to have need for food. We have need for sex. We have need for, somebody said earlier, social acceptance. We have a need to be needed. We have a need for friendship. We have a need for relationship. We have a need to achieve something. We have these needs. And what Satan does is he comes and he just drives into those holes and he says, I can give that to you. I can give that to you. Companionship, I can give that to you. And we don't go, you big fat liar, you can't deliver that. This is the emptiness and alone, isolation. You bet. We, we just go, oh, oh, okay. Okay? Fulfillment. I can give that to you. It's right here. It's right here. No, you can't deliver on that saying. We don't do that. We go, oh, 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 okay, okay. He drives into God-given needs. (laughs) And the food was pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. (laughs) Wouldn't it be great if temptation came in the form of putrid, nasty, stinking, rotting something? Can I get an amen? Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great? You know what I'm saying? Like if the temptation came and you're like, oh, my gosh. Why would I want that? It never does. How does temptation come? Oh. The one rotting with the worm sticking out and putrid stinking, I think it smelled really good. What is that smell? It was shiny. It was red. Like, He don't tell you that there's a hook in there, but it looks beautiful. It looks beautiful. I said this in the morning service. Temptation will look more beautiful, more attractive, more soul-satisfying the hungrier you are. If your soul is starving right now because you don't know God, away from God, away from community, anything and everything that's a stinking nasty walking around will look like appetizing Great food. And then it says, she took some and ate it. And then she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it. Satan uses others to influence us. Um, how many of you guys, whenever you want to make and be committed to making good choices you find yourself either in a friendship or relationship where it just totally derails you. Anybody? Anyone know what I'm talking about? You go, I'm committed, I know truth, and this is exactly what I need to do. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, here she comes, or here he comes, or oh, here they come. And all of a sudden, you go, what what, what are they? Okay, why? Satan knows. By yourself, you're okay. Get one person or two people around you, and you're a goner. You have tremendous need for social acceptance. Maybe you have tremendous need for companionship fulfillment. And you're sitting there going, if I only had, if I only could, if I... And Satan drives into those things and goes, what you need actually are two other people. So here they go. I've seen more Christian men and women be derailed from a committed, passionate relationship with Jesus by getting themselves involved in romantic relationships that they're no business getting involved in. And the amazing thing is, they keep doing it over and over and over and over again. And you think and going, this is accidental. This is just, it's not an accident. He knows you. He knows me. Two more. Truth about Satan. Satan vanishes when we sin, leaving us broken and alone. Isn't that nice of him? Come on. You know you want it. It tastes so good. Okay. Where'd you go? Where'd you go? You know what happens? Guilt, shame come roaring into our lives. And all of a sudden we go, Where is my, where, uh, hey, 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 where did you, where did you? All alone. And guilt, isolation, Guilt, isolation, guilt, isolate. Am I talking to anybody who's in that place today? Verse seven, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. By the way, when the Bible says they were naked, it's more than just a physical reality. but it's pointing to greater reality. Do you realize? Think about this. These people had never known shame before. Can you imagine? I can't wait to no longer feel shame again. They'd never known shame before. And in one instant, shame comes roaring into their lives. Just imagine being somebody who's never known shame before. And all of a sudden, shame in its full intensity. Before this point, they'd never known guilt before. Guilt. And guilt comes roaring into them. They'd never known condemnation before. Condemnation comes roaring into their lives. And where is Satan? Where's our friend? Nowhere to be found. You will find him again on this last one. You know what he does? He's nice enough. He'll leave you for a second so that you wallow in self-pity and condemnation. But then he does this. He comes back to accuse us for the very same thing he entices us to do. I talked about it last week. Oh, it's okay. Come on, come on. Hey, God will forgive you. You do it. What does he do? God will never forgive you for that. Are you kidding Hey, just once, you can stop any time. You'll never be able to stop. There are people enslaved to addiction for years. And we let them get away with it. We let them get, we listen to the first lie, do it, take it, it'll be so good. And then we fall for the second lie when he comes and says, there is no forgiveness, there is no redemption, there is nothing but condemnation for you. And we don't go, shut up, you fat liar, murderer. We go, that's true. We don't go, I see the cross, and I know who was nailed there to deliver me from this. There's forgiveness. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We go, I guess so. We hear his voice saying, you're so pathetic. Who's, We just listen. All of this is happening on a daily basis in your life and in my life. At one point or another. All of this on a daily basis. And the amazing thing is, and I'll talk about this more next week, when the Bible says, stand firm, put on the armor of God. When the Bible has all these active, intentional things that we are to do, we just passively just kind of walk around and go, yep, it's true, yep, it's true. And we begin to act on it. You guys, do you know what spiritual warfare is? Do you know what battling spiritual warfare is? Let me put it up there. Spiritual warfare is not a power encounter, but a truth encounter. Everybody say that with me. Spiritual warfare is not a power encounter, but a truth encounter. What do I mean? It's not mumbo jumbo. It's not exorcisms. It's not chance and things like that. Spiritual war. How do you fight a liar? You fight him with what? How do you fight a lie? You fight him with truth. You don't go at Satan going, in the name of Jesus. I said this earlier. You don't even just spout out Bible verses. Some of us Christians think, we fight him with truth. So I'm just going to memorize a bunch of Bible verses and throw them out there. Listen, Satan knows the Bible better than you do. Acts chapter 10. We find the scene where the sorcerer is utilizing sort of magic in the name of Jesus, whatever. And, and, and it literally the Bible says, and evil spirits and demons came and beat the heck out of him, the sorcerer. And literally there's a conversation saying, We know Jesus. We know Paul. Who are you? There's no magic in just throwing out Bible verses. What is spiritual warfare? What is truth encounter? Here's what it is. Listen. When the Bible says stand firm, prepare for battle, put on the armor of God. It is taking truth and you need to know truth. But it is believing in truth and acting on it. Do you know what I just said? It is believing in truth and acting on it. Here's another great way. That a pastor actually said it. I couldn't say it any better. Faith is acting as if something is true, even when it doesn't appear to be true, in order that it might be shown to be true, simply because God said it's true. Is that good news to anybody? Because that puts the responsibility not just on us to go, I need to work up some sort of miraculous faith. The Bible says no. When you know truth and you step up and step into faith, believing that what God said is true, God's going to do the rest. Faith. Truth. Acting as if God is telling the truth. That's So here are the truth. Here are the truth. If you're taking notes, take these notes down. Because here are the truth. Remember, it's not mumbo jumbo. It's not going, oh, here's what. It's meditating on, soaking in, absorbing these truths about God, truths about us. And every time Satan comes, it's throwing landmines so that he steps on it and he's blown the smithereens. Okay? So here's one. We're going to read exactly the same passage and find the very same truth about God. First and foremost, believe and act on this truth. Say it with me. God is good and gives his best to us. Say it one more time. God is good and gives his best to us. God is good. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Oh, this is the crux. This is the crux. We hear this and we go, oh, show me where. Genesis 1 and 2. Adam and Eve are buck naked and just running around, feeling no shame, no guilt, no shopping for clothes. I don't have to worry about what do I look like. They're free. They're free. They're free. God goes, eat anything. Tree upon tree, orchard upon tree. Eat anything except that one. They have everything that they need, everything they could possibly want. Where does Eve get this? But he's a killjoy. You can't touch that one thing or else. You and I are sitting there going, God, are you good? Do you give your best to us? And if you ever sit there going, if God loved me, then why wouldn't he give me The Bible says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not with him give us all things? How do you look at the cross and ever doubt whether God is good and he gives his best? Why do you think I point to that thing every single Sunday? Because you wake up Monday morning and the deceit is God's not good. He doesn't want best for you. You think I'm just crazy. (laughs) Kind of am sometimes. This right here, the Bible says, is God's ultimate declaration for you and I, for all the world to see. I am good, and I desire the best for you. Secondly, Second, truth about God. God is the author of life. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, we see this. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Listen very carefully. Tomorrow when you wake up and you're faced with temptation, ask two questions. Will this lead to death or will this lead to life? All sin leads to death. And I don't mean just you die physically, although that's the ultimate consequence of sin. All sin leads to death relationally. All sin leads to death in the marriage. All sin leads to death of finances, death of of relationship, death of our health. All sin leads to death. And here's the other truth about sin you need to know. Every isolated sin is linked to a lifestyle of habitual sin. Every isolated sin is linked to a habitual lifestyle sin. There is no such thing as do it once. It doesn't really affect every other area of your life. Every little sin is linked to a lifestyle, a pattern of habitual sin. How many of us are sitting here this morning struggling with something that we thought was harmless months and years back? And we're sitting there going, it's got its tentacles in so many other areas of my life. Anybody relate? Oh. The Bible says that God is author of life. God is the author of life. He leads us to life. He leads us to genuine soul satisfaction. He leads us to genuine soul fulfillment. He leads us to way of life. Third, truth about God and anchoring ourselves in it. God always wants to give us everything we need. God always wants. Do you believe it? Oh, guys. Guys, do you really believe that God wants to give us everything we need? Which means that when God doesn't answer a prayer or God doesn't give us something that we think we need, it literally ultimately means that our father who's good, our father who wants his best for us, the reason why he doesn't give us the thing that we need is because he has something better. Genesis 1 and 2. He says, Everything you need right here. Right here. Romans 8, 29. I preached on this a while back. God works for the good of all those who love him. You know how I translate that verse? Is says, God will give you everything you would have asked for if you knew everything God knew. God will give you everything you would have asked for if you knew everything God knew. So when God says, no, not for you, not at this time, not in that way, he's saying, there's something better. Do you believe it? Do you? I'm serious. I'm serious. But those of you that are kind of right there in that moment ago with Peter, I'm like this close to going. He doesn't know me. He doesn't know what's best for me. And I am tempted to choose my way, my choosing and my time. Hang on. Hang Hang on. Next truth about God. Do you like these truths? By the way, and do you see why they're landmines? You don't do mumbo jumbo. You put these landmines. God knows what's best for me. And God is good. God provides everything that I need. God is author of provide these landmines. So when Satan comes and goes, death. You want to choose death? You go. God is the author of life. Liar. Get the heck away from me. That's how you deal with him. You don't do mumbo jumbo in the name of Jesus. Landmines. Next one, next one. God wants to protect you. Next two are kind of hard. Next two are kind of hard. I'm just warning you. God wants to protect you from harmful choices. Look what God says to them in Genesis 2.16. The Lord commanded that you are free to eat from any tree. Say free with me. Free. 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 You are free, God says. Not boundless like you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you can't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. And then the chapter three, because Adam and Eve choose to do their own thing, not free, in bondage and in slavery. Because of sin, there's total bondage and enslaved to sin. And you can't blame Eve. When God says this in Genesis 2, Eve's not even created yet. It was Adam's responsibility to lead his wife, Eve, to truth. I went on a little rant this morning. I won't do that right now. Okay, no, I will. Okay. Um, (laughs) I would love to see more Christian men be better leaders spiritually. Can I just say that? I don't know. I couldn't really make out this morning's look. Like people looked at me both like pissed. Like, are you really seriously saying that to me right now? And then there were women going, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Can I just say this? It is a responsibility, us men, to be better spiritual leaders in our homes, to our families. Ladies. Make this the most important thing. That you find somebody who can say, He is a man after God's own heart. And guys, 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 I don't know what the heck is going on with our generation. What is going on? Where are the men who are better models and examples in their homes to their families? Why do I hear about guys playing more, spending more time watching sports and playing video games than actually spiritually leading their families? What is that all about? Now, if you are one of these men who are like, I'm good, Peter, thank you. But if you are not, as I struggle to be, please take it as a challenge. Step up to the plate. Amen? Okay, none of the ladies... Speak. (laughs) Men, amen? Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) One more. Hard, and then we're going to end with the gospel. God is faithful to his word and the consequences of our choices. Do you know what happens at the end of verse 16 and on? God says, there's consequences, consequences. Adam and Eve choose their own way. Result, relational conflict, guilt, shame, death in every way. Listen, listen very carefully. Our God is a loving, just, holy God. God of grace, but God doesn't wink and says, I told you not to, but you know, he doesn't. And you know the truth is, you don't want a God like that. I don't want a God like that. Amen? We don't want a God who just looks the other way and says, well, kids are going to be kids. We want a God who is faithful to his word. We want a God who is true to his word, who doesn't lie, who doesn't deceive. And in his love, when he says there are consequences, my dear child, to that, there has to be consequences. You and I don't want a God who says, I told you not to, but what can you do? We want a God who says, I am faithful to my word. If you don't want to put God in positions where your life is going to be less than what God desires for you, we can't continue to put God in positions because God can't not be faithful to his word. We can't just wave a magic wand at the end of the day and go, oh, well, I'm sorry. There's consequences. However, let me end with these truths about God, and I rejoice in them. (sighs) God pursues us, even in our disobedience. God pursues us, even in our disobedience. Genesis 3.8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the tree of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And I don't know about you, but this is one of the most amazing things about God. Satan, come on, do it. Son, see ya. gone, God, our God. Our God, I've given you everything. I desire good and best for you. Anything you need right here. We choose our own thing. And when we do, God doesn't go lecture, sermon, condemnation. He comes to us and says, where are you? He pursues us even in our disobedience. Is that good news? That he doesn't leave us isolated in our sin, in our condemnation and self-pity. God, the creator God, comes. And he, furthermore, he just, God is merciful to us in our nakedness. At the end of the story, verse 21, chapter 3. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and he clothed them. This is our creator God. They know they're naked, they're hiding. Oh my goodness. He kills an animal takes the skin and says, come here, but I'm ashamed. I'm naked. I don't, I don't really want to see you. I know, I know. Come on, come on, come on. Do you pick, I don't know about you, but I've got a wild imagination. So I'm trying to envision the creator God who said, let there be light. And there was light. I'm trying to envision this God, this God with two frail human beings shaking in their nakedness and their shame. And saying, I don't want to have anything to do with you, God, like you and I do, by the way. When we're in disobedience, our tendency is to go, I'm messed up, I'm done, I'm out of here. And not pursue God. And God comes to us and goes, you look like you're about a size four or five. Okay. (laughs) What? Adam. Dude, you should have told Eve, but that's another story for another time. God is... Is, is this good news? This is amazing news for some of us that have been sitting here going, oh, my gosh. Oh, oh, consequence of my sin. Oh, I don't know if I can. Peter, that's why I just walked away from the church. That's why I haven't come into service in a long time. And you're talking about this, and you're making me, uh-uh. And all of a sudden, here's the gospel, and God says, I'm not done with you. But, Peter, you don't understand. It's like a mountain of sin. And God comes on and says, I know. That's why there's a mountain of grace. Your sin reaches far, but my grace reaches further. You run fast, but you can't outrun God. Ah, this is the truth about God. So if there's anybody here in bondage and slavery and addicted to something and you're struggling and you're just going... I'm in disobedience. He doesn't have anything to do with me. I know. So I'm just going to do my own thing and go deeper into this sin. The truth, the landmine that you need to, is, God says there's mercy. He's gone, but there's, let me, let me clothe you. Let me cover that nakedness, the shame. Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. See, the killing of the animal wasn't just for the skin, you see, just to clothe them in their shame and nakedness so they would not feel shame and nakedness. The killing of the animal actually is pointing to the ultimate sacrifice that will come one day. It's as if God was saying this temporary forgiveness for you now, but there's a time coming when the ultimate sacrifice will be made to cover your shame and your nakedness forever. There's a time coming when there will be an ultimate sacrifice where no matter who you are, no matter what you have done, no matter how far you've fallen, that in Christ there is forgiveness and redemption and grace. And when you're tempted to go, I'm just going to go deeper in the sin because you know what? I'm just, I'm already messed up. I'm just, God goes, I'm pursuing you. grace and my mercy it blows me away every time i just even think about it you guys it just blows me away that he would do that that he he would do that that he would do that that he would do that for me let me end with this god is way more powerful than satan Because the way that the story ends in Genesis 3 is God comes to Satan and says, there will come an offspring of this woman who will crush your head. And essentially what God was saying is there's going to come a time where Satan, sin, and death are going to be defeated forever and his power over you will be null and void forever. Is that good news? No. So let me just... Let me end with this. Let me end with this. So you're sitting there going, all right, Peter, I've been trying to, this whole sermon series, this whole thing of, we have victory in Christ. Satan doesn't have power and authority over us that he can't touch us. And yet on the other hand, he can't get his hooks in us and he can tempt us and do all these things. Where do you find the balance? Let me end with this analogy. Pilgrim's Progress, written by John Bunyan, the 18th century, is this allegory, metaphor of, a, of the Christian life. And its main character there's a guy named Christian, <laughs> and he's headed towards a celestial city, and he's heading down this path, and he comes to a place where there's a straight path that he's walking on, but he notices he notices something. He notices there are demons, fangs, claws, demons on the side of this road, and they're chained, right? But they're demons side of those, and they're growling and they're angry, and he's going, I'm, "I'm supposed to walk this? Yeah, he's supposed to walk that." <laughs> he's going, "I." they're going to get me and he's like no 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 christ conquered sin and death you'll be all right but don't look to the left or to the right stay on the road are you sure i'm sure stay on the road so he starts walking and what do you know all of a sudden the demons on the side of the road (laughs) that's my best impression of the demons (laughs) Just imagine the demons, and they're chained, and they're rattling, and they're coming. And Christian notices as he's walking, the demons reach out for the claw, but it's about a half inch away from his body on both sides. Can't touch (sighs) him. He's looking. Half inch. Before the claws get a half inch. And he's walking down. And he's remembering, don't look to the left. Don't swerve to the right. Stay on the road. Stay on the road. He's defeated. His power over you is broken. Stay on the road. What does it mean for you? What does it mean for me to stay on the road? Here's what it means. Don't give him a foothold. You know his tactics. You give him a foothold when you dwell on God can't be trusted. Yeah, he can't be trusted. I'm going to do my own thing in my own time, in my own choosing. He can't love me. If he loves me, why would, so I'm just going to do my own. Do you see why it's so critical? There's a battle every day for your mind. And Satan is saying, if I can just get you to, I am get my claws in you. You know what else gives him the opportunity to get his claws in you? Anger. Bitterness. Unwillingness to forgive. Why? Those are powerful emotions that Satan every day comes and goes, he's ruined your life, didn't he? He's ruined ruined my life. Forget about the fact that he died 10 years ago. He's ruined my life. I can't forgive him. I can't forgive him. Satan comes and goes, that's right you can't forgive him hey are you aware of this battle for your mind and your belief system every day he really can't touch you or me because of a crisis and what he has done and who lives in us unless we give him the authority how God, I pray for anyone out there who is just struggling and wrestling right now internally. Just doubting the character of God. Doubting the work of God. Just doubting who you are. And just lost and all over the place. And we need your truth. Your truth. Your anchor. Truth about you. Truth about who we are. Holy Spirit for you to break through. Truth about God.